Welcome to the 409th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Well, the third annual Odyssey Swim Run Austin is in the books. We lived. A couple things different this year. The course was changed. It's in a state park. It's a Girl Scout state park called Pace Bend. And the river around it, the Colorado River goes around, and the water level was down 43% this year. Uh, I guess last year it was down in the 20s. This year it's down 43%. And it's hard to believe how much of a difference that makes. The way the geography of the park is, there are rolling hills. It's actually in the hill country of Texas. And so there are kind of rock faces that go down into the water and kind of straight down in. So typically when you get to the edge of the water and you get in, it gets deep very quickly. But with the water being down, there's a lot more rock exposed. So it meant a lot more rock climbing in and out of the swim. The difference turned out to be a little bit longer, um, 15.68 miles on our my watch last year 16.7 miles on the watch total this year um probably a little less than three miles of swimming so you're in and out in and out in and out um swim run swim run swim run there's um, six swims seven runs the last run's real short um, up to the finish line about um, half a mile so we did time-wise worse but place-wise better so we were the 27th team out of 40 teams. So that was good. Um, in years past, if you've listened to this, uh, we had to fight our way into the bottom. So we, uh, we did much better. We ran better. Certainly felt like I ran better. Um, having done more trail races, it's funny to see the trail that we thought was so rocky and technical not be that bad after all. So there were some sections uh, when you're running that it's rocky, there's some roots, um, it kind of curves around a little bit, but by no means is it um, as technical as what we've been on, especially when we compare it to the Leadville Marathon. So running was better, um, felt much more comfortable on the trails. So that's good, we're, we're getting better at running trails. We hadn't been in the water uh, I think Michael might have been in the water a little bit more than, than I was, but my pool has been closed for over a month since Hurricane Ian, so I hadn't uh, been in the water. And my plan was, after the last marathon, to dedicate a little bit more time to swimming, which didn't happen. Of course, we had not had our wetsuits on since the last year's swim run, run event, so that makes a difference. We wear a short wetsuit, so it has short sleeves and short, so it's not a full wetsuit. It's not as thick. Um, it's certainly more, um, it's lighter weight, so you can run in it, um, but it nevertheless is more restrictive than just swimming in a bathing suit, so that was a little bit different. Of course, I've been doing the pull-up challenge, and so I was hoping that um, all the upper body work that I have been dedicated to do, have been doing, uh, would pay off and make up for the lack of swimming that I had done. It didn't really translate out that way. No matter what people tell you as far as training goes, cross-training helps 
overall fitness, but it's no substitute for the actual sport you're going to be doing. So, you know, you see run plans that you can only run three days a week and you can run a marathon and then you can cross train. Um, and a lot of times people think that that's going to be that, you know, you can just kind of slide your way through a marathon and that never happens. And this is the same way. Uh, even though I was doing the weight workouts with my arms, it wasn't near um, the same motion by any stretch of the imagination as swimming, especially those distances. So my arms got tired this year um, and my stroke wasn't as fluent and I thought that was a lot of the reason why our time was slower. But I went back and did some calculations. And turns out, if you look at our uh, swimming times per 100 yards, you know, on the Garmin watch, so to speak, we were maybe, um, you know, 5 to 10 seconds slower uh, per 100. So that didn't really translate out um, um, to a you know, to a big time period over the, the whole, you know, kit and caboodle. So there were six swims. The real difference was getting in and out of the water. And so six swims means six entrances and six ac exits. So we ran faster when we were running, but there were these dead spots where we were climbing down into the water through the rocks and climbing out of the water through the rocks. And the first swim, we actually climbed into the mud and got stuck there for a little bit before we got going. So um, it took a while to get, you know, again, our rock climbing skills, mud slinging skills honed in. We went down to see the course the day before the race, and we did see one exit, and they had pink ribbons marking the course, and, and the, they had a line of sight, which would be the best way out, so to speak. Um, by no means was there a path. So this is all natural rock, mud, bushes, habitat. So nothing is, you know, there's not a trail out of the water. It's, you know, pick the best line of sight that you think you can do. So sometimes the rock, you know, uh, it would be uh, stepping up three or four feet over one boulder to the next. Sometime it would be picking your foot placement between, you know, three or four one-foot round, somewhat movable rocks. Um, so, again, not our forte. And certainly when you have to go to work the next week, um, you pick your spots a little bit. So we, we were more about uh, let's be safe than let's, you know, get a lot of time. So we lost most of our time, the difference between last year, four hours and 48 minutes versus five hours and 17 minutes, um, was mostly due to getting into the water and getting out of the water. So, you know, that is what it is. Um, I don't think that that is something we can improve a whole lot on. Um, just is what it is. Um, we're, we're just not that technical of rock climbing. Now, what does make a difference is mobility. So I do believe that the reason why we passed people that we haven't passed in the, in the, in, in the past years was that um, we ran faster when we were running. We didn't swim faster than anybody else, but I do believe that we got through the rocks better than some other people. 
Um, and mobility is a huge thing. I talk about it on the podcast. Um, I do work on that, you know, getting up from his, you know, the floor without using my hands, working on hip mobility, um, you know, stretching. And I, I have been dedicated to doing that. And I think that's really important, um, you know, to do on a regular basis. And that certainly came in handy. Uh, it was just more a fear of falling and breaking your neck or a compound fracture that slowed us down more than anything else. I guess the only way to simulate something like that would be do bear crawls up and down box jump boxes and, um, you know, up and down the stairs and various places. So um, who knows? Maybe we'll have to get with Jenny McCall from the Ninja Warrior that I had on the podcast and, and devise a um, pseudo swim run, swim exit over boulders and obstacles. Who knows? So you carry your nutrition in the wetsuit or on a little pouch that's a belt that um, you hook your swim paddles on. So if you're not familiar with this race, you wear your swims, you wear your um, your wetsuit to run. Um, you swim in your shoes. You use paddles to swim, and you carry those and or hook them onto a belt after you're done. And you have a swim buoy that you have tied onto your leg that you rotate around. Um, to, to use as a flotation device because you can't kick because you have your shoes on. And you have a swim cap that you're required to wear when you're swimming. You can take it off if you want at, when you're running. And, of course, you have goggles. So there's a fair amount of equipment as opposed to just going out and run. Um, we use gels for nutrition. You carry, uh, it's a, um, I, I really like this um, trails when, you know, there's no cups. You carry a, you're given a silicone cup. We've collected several of these over the years at various trail races. I think this is a much better idea. I think they should do this for road races uh, to get rid of all the waste. But we have a silicone cup, so when you get to the aid station, you fill up your own water cup. You can drink as much as you want. Typically, we get a glass. It's probably, you know, one of the baby, you know, seven ounces maybe. Um, get one of those and take it on the way and have a gel. So we were pretty good about uh, taking our gels um, more on a regular basis than in the past uh, because you get kind of caught up in swimming, running, getting in, getting out. And um, so we were, we were more um, aware of when we should take nutrition. The water was better on the course in the past, again, being towards the back. Uh, they ran out of water in the past years. This year they had, I think, a couple more uh, stops where they had water. So that made hydration better. Um, so, you know, we're getting better. Uh, we learned last year that you unzip your wetsuit, then you can breathe better. You, you know, take that layer off. And uh, this year we even took our swim caps off at the end when it started to heat up. It, the weather was about 50s in the morning. Uh, it was a little cold the first couple swims, and then it heated up in the afternoon. It probably got into the high 70s, low 80s. Um, so we took the swim cap off the last couple of runs, um, and, you know, it was like getting a little air conditioning. Uh, so, so that helped. Um, I, I, put, I did a post on Instagram. I wore Newton trail shoes. They're not as bulky and as knobby as a lot of other trail shoes, and I was a little bit concerned that uh, when they talked about the mud and the rocks that it, you know they may not uh, be grippy enough, but they, they were. They did just fine, so I was really happy about those shoes. I've worn the Newton trail shoes in the ultras that I've done as well, so that all worked out good. Um, I will give a big shout-out to Exoskin. That's X-O-S-K-I-N, socks. 
um, no blisters or anything. And that first entrance into the water, I mean, we sunk to just below our knees in mud. Um, so we took in a lot of mud in our shoes and yuck and into our socks. And so when we finished, I mean, our, the socks and shoes inside were, were nasty. Um, but I never had one blister or hot spot on my feet. So, you know, again, it was only about 15 miles of running and three miles of swimming, so to speak. And so, um, not a lot long distance, but your feet are wet the whole time. The socks were soaked, the shoes were soaked. So you shout out to those socks for being uh, really good as far as wicking and not causing any problems. Because it was at a Girl Scout camp, there's a there's a mess hall uh, at at the you know the camp head, and so we got to go there before the race, and so stay warm. And they even had breakfast. I always have a bunk bar and a banana before a race, but they had oatmeal, they had waffles, they had all kinds of things for people's families. So that was really nice. Um, had a cup of coffee. I always I always do that. Um, again, had gels during the race. After the race. You know, I, I didn't check. I'll have to check if the race director, but I have a feeling that somebody in the race uh, family is either vegetarian or vegan because they had a lot of vegan options. Uh, they had baked potatoes. They had quinoa, two different kinds of quinoa, one with onions and corn and peppers. They had corn tortillas as well as flour tortillas uh, with refried beans as well as a, a pulled pork option. But then they had salsa and peppers and um, tomatoes. So uh, it was really a good variety for people that were plant-based. So that was, that was pretty cool. Never can usually get, uh, things like that after a race. You know, the swim run venue was it also, uh, really nice and really different because again, you know, you start out and you run a mile and a half and you swim so many yards and you run three miles and you swim so many yards. And, um, so you're in and out, in or out, and you know. By the time I actually scrolled through my watch, um, the Garmin has a swim run program on it, which I screwed up royally. You know, you hit the lap button to change from swim to run, and I screwed that up on numerous occasions. But um, the also have the ability to look at the total time. And by the time I scrolled through and looked at the total time, we were already three hours and forty minutes into the race. And it seemed like we had just really started. I mean, you know, we're counting the swims and the runs and knew how many, and I had the times or I had the distances on my paddles. But I just got to say it just went, the day went really, really fast. And, you know, you don't feel like you ran, you know, over a half a marathon in distance. You don't feel like you, you would, you're swimming that, that big a distance. Although the last one, I, I, I got to say, I did feel like I was swimming. Um, I keep, um, you know, in, in my head, you can do more than you think you can. And, you know, so I figured, well, I got 20 more minutes in the water here and, you know, I can, anybody can do anything for 20 minutes and you're looking for the buoys, you know, as you go. And, um, like I said, my, my arms were, my shoulder blades were getting a little tight and a little crampy, but never had to stop, never had to, never have to rest, just plug on. And, and I have to say that my swim stroke and I, and I felt more comfortable as, as we went on. And, you know, again, I was happy to see that we weren't as slow as we, or I, I wasn't as slow as I thought I was, um, uh, this year compared to last year. So that's, that's, that's pretty good. This race was, you know, more about having fun and, and getting to go through Houston to visit family. So, um, I don't think that it's ever going to be something that we can really train extensively for. Um, I don't think my local county pool would like me swimming with my shoes on and my wetsuit and getting out and running around the pool and getting back in. 
we could go and swim in the ocean and I suppose run around, but it's, it's usually too, too complicated for that. And, you know, there's a bunch of other things to deal with. And I'm not a huge fan about swimming in the open uh, ocean water anymore with some of the red tide and stuff like that, that, that happens. So, you know, we're, we're probably not, um, get this down to a science, but it sure is a lot of fun. And, you know, again, it, you know, it has all the aspects. We get to swim, we get to run, we get to practice trail running, we get to practice our mobility. So it's a great group of people. Um, the race director is very, very nice. It's a nice atmosphere, a uh, nice location. So uh, I think we'll continue to do those um, as long as they'll have us. I was a little sore after the race, uh, especially my shoulders. I, I felt like I'd been doing a farmer's carry for a couple miles and I was sore that on the arms the next day or so uh, and even in my legs because uh, you know like I said we because it's short runs didn't really run to heart rate kind of ran as hard as we could as, for the technical aspects of it and when I looked back on my heart rate um, I was pretty much up around 85% predicted max heart rate most of the running so um, you get into a little lactic acid production so I had a little soreness for a couple days um, but uh, came back and started back in with running with Sophie. So just running easy, little, you know, three and a half, four miles. Um, and back to the pull-up challenge because I got to get that pull-up challenge. We took Caleb to the park while we were in Houston. And, of course, they had monkey bars and um, got to do a, you know, work on my pull-up there a little bit and do, you know, come across the monkey bars a little bit. So it's getting better. It's getting better. I don't have a complete pull-up, but I'm getting more on that front end, that initial starting point. And certainly when I get started, I can pull myself up and I can hold hold there. So I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to keep working on it. So um, I have a renewed respect for upper body strength and keeping that going. And I, I think that um, I was kind of fooling myself that my upper body strength was better than it was from doing just chores of daily living. Uh, so I intend to uh, work and, and keep that going. As far as recovery goes nutritionally, um, I, I am still, I've said it before, and I still am a huge proponent of fruit after a hard workout. Uh, we went to the local supermarket and got a big container of watermelon and uh, uh, had that. Uh, we actually had it before the race, a container, and after the race, a container. We had some cucumbers, fresh salads and things. Uh, so raw vegetables and a lot of fruit, um, as well as hydrating with water, I think is a, a great way to recover. And uh, you got to get the glycogen back in your muscles. And when you're when you're doing that, um, uh, vitamin C and in the, in the watermelon helps to, to get, um, you know, the soreness out, um, the anti-inflammatory properties of fruit, but mainly getting the sugar back in with the glycogen uh, in a simple way without having to fight, you know, with... Uh, complex carbohydrates or anything, I think is, is really a key to getting things back together quickly. I want to transition into a little bit uh, about atrial fibrillation again. Um, I think a lot of people had some questions on atrial fibrillation in the past and uh, were interested in hearing about it. It's the, certainly the most common arrhythmia that people experience. The risk factors for atrial fibrillation being hypertension, valvular heart disease is the two biggies, but being overweight, alcohol intake uh, or excessive alcohol intake. But um, that being said, when people, sometimes people have atrial fibrillation and they convert out of it, 
or they get an ablation, um, and so they're back into a regular rhythm. Sometimes they're in and out of it. Uh, sometimes they can feel when they go into the atrial fibrillation and back into a regular rhythm. Sometimes it happens once or twice a year, once or twice every couple of years, then it can happen more frequently. And sometimes people ultimately are in atrial fibrillation chronically, and that typically happens more in an older population. And if you're anticoagulated, so you're on a blood thinner, being in atrial fibrillation poses no increased risk of death versus not being in atrial fibrillation. The most important thing is to be on that blood thinner to prevent what we call embolic events or strokes. But then it comes down to how much exercise can people do and how much exercise should they do. And again, we know that... Um, you know, having good cardiovascular health also is protective against having arrhythmias or having uh, decreased blood flow issues. So certainly we want to maintain, um, you know, a good cardiovascular healthy lifestyle through exercise. We also want a normal body mass index. Um, we want to control blood pressure mainly through diet because if you're just taking a medication that slows your heart rate down or dilates blood vessels, that is not necessarily physiologic. Uh, and there have some side effects to that on the backside. So if you can get your blood pressure down by, you know, changing your breathing, uh, changing your salt intake, um, and exercise weight loss, it's a much better way to go than just saying, okay, my blood pressure is controlled on medication. So if you can get your blood pressure under control uh, and the body mass index under control, the risk of atrial fibrillation goes down. But sometimes, you know, um, people are already in atrial fibrillation um, for a long time before they ever, you know, anybody tells them or they come to that conclusion and they might not be able to get out of atrial fibrillation. It happens. Uh, and again, it ha tends to happen in an older population. And... When you exercise in, your, in atrial fibrillation, because your heart is not beating regularly, it's, it's actually described as being irregularly irregular, so it's kind of a dump, 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 dump. It's all over the place. The top chamber doesn't prime the ventricle um, with a little bit of a squeeze at the end, so there's not quite the stretch of the left ventricle to cause as vigorous of a contraction with every beat. So it varies. Some of the beats that are close together won't be as forceful of a heartbeat, won't have as much blood flow from the heart as beats that the heart has a little bit more time to fill with blood. So it's kind of like walking up a muddy slope um, and that it can be uh, a little tricky or and people can get out of breath. And it can be a little unnerving because, you know, things that didn't cause you to be out of breath, now all of a sudden you're out of breath when you do them. Um, and again, some people don't notice it as much as others. Um, but nevertheless, most people, if they can't feel the irregularness, they can feel that just not quite the stamina that they had before. So the question is what to do about it. Should people not exercise or should people exercise? And there was a recent study published in the Journal of American Medical Association that actually looked at training people that are in chronic atrial fibrillation. Now, it was a really small study, um, but I, I think that it was um, an encouraging study. They had, and, and, and what they compared was high-intensity intervals versus continuous moderate to vigorous activity. 
So you may have heard of high intensity intervals, you know, if you've went to a gym or something and people tell you, you lose more weight and you get in better shape quicker if you do these intervals. So people will, you know, do a high heart rate, um, heavy exertion for one or two minutes and then recover and then repeat it and do that for a shorter period of time than say, just go in and walk on a treadmill for an hour. And so that's exactly um, kind of what they did. They did eight minute segments where uh, they had people uh, push their heart rates to 89, 80 to 90% of predicted maximal heart rate. Um, and then they were about, they were 30 seconds long and then they would have rest. And so they did this for 28 minutes. So beyond on, so eight minutes of vigorous um, or 30 seconds of vigorous um, high intensity and then recover. And they did two eight minute segments out of that 23 minutes. So the rest of it was kind of recovering, catch your breath. The other group, um, they exercised continuously for 60 minutes on the treadmill at a moderate to vigorous um, pace. So they were huffing and puffing, but they weren't going, they were never getting their heart rate greater than 85% for the most part. And it was on uh, perceived exertion. So uh, it was on a scale of 20, it'd be like 12 to 16. So, you know, you're working hard, you're huffing and puffing a little bit, but you're certainly not straining. And so when they compared those two groups, as far as the outcome and the outcomes they used were quality of life measures. How do you feel? Do you feel better when you, you know, you do activities of daily living uh, or go for walks and such, um, or, the other one was how long can you, how far can you get on a six-minute walk test? Now again, this was a study that was relatively short. They exercised two times a week for um, twelve weeks, so three months. And so they did the six-minute walk test before, did the questionnaire, then they did the six-minute walk test and the questionnaire afterwards. And what they found basically was both of them showed a little bit of improvement in the six-minute walk test and um, perceived exertion uh, and quality of life. One was not better than the other, but both were um, pretty safe. Uh, there wasn't any significant difference in the small group. Um, there were nine people, so slightly more people stopped in the high-intensity training group. Um, somebody had a knee injury, somebody got diagnosed with Parkinson, somebody fell, somebody had a valve replaced, somebody was short of breath, there was a GI bleed, somebody, um, and the two in the other group, uh, one person died, one person had a bypass. So, I mean, uh, and the age group was, um, you know, an older age group, and the body mass index was 30 versus 29. So these people were overweight, older. Um, and had chronic atrial fibrillation, yet they had um, some improvement in their six-minute walk test. Um, and, and actually, it was 59 yards further. It doesn't seem like a lot, but for a short duration, um, you know, again, the outcomes were uh, people felt better, uh, and they both, the, both groups improved. So the takeaway... Um, I would say was, you know, people should be encouraged if you have chronic atrial fibrillation and it just shows how important it is to keep moving. When you move, you improve the blood flow to your legs, you improve the muscle, which improves uh, muscles in your legs, which improves the blood flow back to your heart. So you support your blood pressure. Um, the more you exercise, the more your baseline heart rate will go down. So you're, um, again, your cardiac 
function will improve. You'll deliver more blood per beat because your, has, your heart has more time to fill. And typically when you have a lower heart rate at rest, it doesn't ramp up quite so fast so that people that may have an irregular heartbeat, they don't get this you know, very high ramped up heart rate when they exert themselves. So being in better condition is, is better for atrial fibrillation as well as people that aren't in atrial fibrillation. Um, and you know, it'd be nice to see a longer study and see people train uh, and longer uh, it would be nice to see people train more often and, and see that training effect. But um, again, if you have chronic atrial fibrillation, that doesn't mean you have to sit in a chair for the rest of your life, and certainly it's not encouraged. Whether you do high-intensity intervals or a continuous, moderate to vig vigorous physical activity, the recommended American Heart Association activity, 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous activity a week, whether you replace that with high-intensity training is up to the individual. Some people like to push it and then come back, you know, and do intervals. They just like swim, run. Um, you know, you do something different. It makes the time pass uh, a little bit more, especially if you're going to be limited to being inside in a gym on a treadmill. Uh, other people that go outside might enjoy, you know, a, 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 a more of a moderate to vigorous continuous walk. So um, walking with your dogs. But the bottom line is it really doesn't matter One's not better than the other. It's the biggest thing that matters is consistency. So it is really important to do things on a regular basis, not intermittently. The thing that I don't like about high intensity interval training for a lot of people is that um, you have a little bit more um, pounding, a little bit more risk of injury, uh, especially if technique and form is not, you know, is not uh, good. So. That's where I think that, you know, um, the more moderate to vigorous activity on a continuous basis is a little bit better. But again, it's up to the individual. We have now officially entered into eating season, just going past Halloween, now heading uh, into Thanksgiving in the near future. Um, this is a scary time of the year for people that tend to overeat or, you know, you become exposed to things that aren't plant-based. If you go over to drdelaney.com and sign up for our newsletter, uh, we'll be sending out a newsletter of what we eat for Thanksgiving and some Thanksgiving recipes. Um, but, you know, I, I am a huge proponent of continuing on uh, your steady diet. Um, so, you know, with the holidays, people start to go to parties and uh, overeat. But I think it's really important to stick to your diet and exercise program that you've had all year long. Um, start thinking about what you've had in the past for Thanksgiving and what you can do for Thanksgiving and, and try some of the dishes and try them on and see how you like them. Um, you know, we, there's, there's a lot of different recipes out there for, um, uh, there's a company that makes a field roast, but you can make your own. So it's kind of like a lentil loaf or you can make a loaf with sea tan. Um, you know, you have it on the table. I think early in a plant-based um, nutrition lifestyle, you take away the turkey and you take away the ham and people start to panic um, that, you know, they're not going to make it or they're going to go off because they're going to have to have that stuff. You're really going to be much healthier without it. Uh, the salt load with the ham, uh, the bacteria load with the ham or turkey, mainly with the turkey, that's, the ham is usually so salty, you could probably drop it in the toilet and you wouldn't get anything bad from it. But turkeys are associated with some of the highest incidence of food poisoning. And then if you think people stuff that turkey 
uh, and all the hands that were involved. Uh, it's just a dirty, greasy mess. So you're not missing anything out. So you're better off going with a seitan loaf or a lentil loaf or more vegetables. So start planning those. Um, we always do sweet potatoes. We do mashed potatoes and mushroom gravy. We do a variety of different dishes with cranberries. I am sprouting more. I'm getting into sprouting. And, and actually next week I'm going to have... Doug Evans, who wrote the Sprout book on the podcast to talk about the benefits of sprouting. Um, we're going to be doing one of his recipes um, in his book in class tomorrow with the roasted carrots and sprouts. I'll let you know how that is, and maybe we'll include that even in our menu, um, depending on uh, if the nutrition class gives a thumbs up. So, uh, you know, I think that's the way to go. Pumpkin pies are certainly uh, plant-based if you make them with silken tofu and pumpkin. Um, the crust is usually where people, uh, there's a lot of extra calories there that you don't really need. So think about doing more of a tart bowl or, you know, in the, uh, little dishes, the pumpkin pie filling, that's always a way to go. Pumpkin muffins, pumpkin oatmeal, cranberries, cranberry based oatmeal. So there's lots of things to do in the fall to change things up. Butternut squash curries, stuffed, stuffed, various stuffed squashes. So you can really make a lot of really pretty dishes. I think presentation is key um, to actually feeling good about what you're eating. So um, start practicing. This is a good time to start trying out uh, different dishes as we go into Thanksgiving. And um, then you can hone it in as you go into Christmas. Do not let up on your exercise. Uh, keep that going. You know, keep your routine going. Because there's nobody out there that can skip a few days and not kind of fall by the wayside or skip a few more, and it becomes a very intermittent habit. And we know uh, as you get older, uh, you lose muscle mass very quickly, and it's much harder to put it on. And even if the person at the gym tells you you're putting on muscle and not fat, it's not true. Um, for the most part, it takes you know six to eight months of vigorous training to put on muscle um, so it doesn't happen overnight or certainly in a two-week course. So um, keep that in mind, but keep going uh, in your, your routine. Uh, make sure you, you know, carve that time out, even if you're traveling, that you have to have your exercise in. You'll feel much better about it. Sign up for a turkey trot. You still have time to train. You can walk it. That's always good. Um, and sign up for another race. Sign up for the jingle, jingle and jog. Um, sign up for stuff in the spring. So get a bunch of things signed up. Uh, I know we have, um, you know, a full lineup. We'll be going to California International Marathon in December. Um, February, we have a 50-miler. March, we have our um, Stewart Marathon, um, the Treasure Coast Marathon in Stewart, Florida. I hope they didn't have too much damage with this uh, Nicole hurricane that just went through. Um We'd love, for you to have, we'd love for you to join us at that marathon. Uh, it's not too late. It's in the first weekend of March. It's, again, a um, Treasure Coast Marathon in Stewart, Florida. So we'll have a group of people there running together and, and, and having a great, it's a nice venue, a nice hometown small race. So keep races on the calendar. Uh, keep motivated. Uh, try out your Thanksgiving recipes. And I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening.